This 4th of July, don't miss the movie of the summer. Are you ready? Damn right. Top Gun Maverick is one of the greatest movies ever made. See it on the biggest screen possible. You got yourself a deal. Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, rated PG-13. This 4th of July. You where you belong. Make us proud. Get fired up. Let's go. And experience one of the greatest movies ever made. Having any fun yet? Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, ready PG-13. The Exxon Radio Show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide, including AM 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, WPUL AM 1590 in Daytona Beach, Florida, KOHI AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon, KHRO AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit www.xzbn.net or call toll-free worldwide 1-800-610-7035. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. 
More details just arrived. These details about the same as previously. President Kennedy shot today just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. Mrs. Kennedy jumped up and grabbed Mr. Kennedy. She called, oh no, the motorcade sped on. United Press says that the wounds for President Kennedy perhaps could be fatal. Repeating a bulletin from CBS News, President Kennedy has been shot by a would-be assassin in Dallas, Texas. Stay tuned to CBS News for further details. Then we'll be free Someday soon He's gonna be one day Throughout the streets of Dallas, the Dallas police had been augmented by some 400 uh, policemen called in on their day off because there were some fears and concerns in Dallas uh, that uh, that there might be demonstrations, at least, that could embarrass the president. Because it was only on October the 24th that our ambassador to the United Nations, Adley Stevenson, uh, was assaulted in Dallas, uh, leaving a dinner meeting there. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. Exonation, when we come back from this two-minute commercial break, we'll be speaking with Randy Owen. Now, Randy is a researcher into the JFK assassination. I don't know how many times I've heard those clips and each and every time that I hear Walter Cronkite reading that news flash, I can still put myself back to the time when President JFK died. It's a memory that I don't think anyone who heard or was part of history at this time will ever forget. Randy Owen is my special guest on the other side of this commercial break. As the X-Zone continues, we're right here live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Nation, Randy Owen is our special guest. We're going to be talking to Randy about his research into the JFK assassination. Randy's research into the assassination began at age 11 in 1970 while researching a school project on JFK and PT-109. Randy began reading about the assassination and hasn't stopped since. His interest grew when he came across two different versions of the Life magazine from October 2, 1964. 
Essays earned him top marks in various history classes. Now, his collection of JFK assassination material includes over 400 books and unpublished manuscripts, mainly autographed, over 500 hours of video, including live coverage of the assassination and rare home movie footage, audio tape, including Dallas Police and Air Force One transmissions, over 3,000 newspapers, and 1,000 magazine articles. And if I was to tell you about the different people that Randy has talked to during the course of his research into the assassination, Randy wouldn't get anything at all to say. But joining us now from Tilsonburg, Ontario, is Randy Owen. And Randy, always a great pleasure having you here in the X-Zone. Rob, it's a pleasure to be back on the X-Zone. Thank you so much for having me back. Tell me, Randy, you're a Canadian, you're in broadcasting. Why is a Canadian so heavily involved in researching the JFK assassination? Uh, because I took it personally. Uh, when I started the research, and like you mentioned, that the two different life magazines that I came mm-hmm. across there, the same issue, uh, that got me thinking that, hey, this, uh, this is being covered up and I'm being lied to. And like I said, I took it personally, and so I decided uh, I'm going to get involved in it. And I think a lot of people lose the fact that, uh, yeah, he was an American president, mm-hmm. an American leader, but he was also a world leader, too. And uh, the ripples from from that day, November 22nd, 1963, in Dallas, reverberated around the world. So it's not just an American crime or an American history crime. Uh, It was a world crime. And that's why uh, somebody like me, who wasn't an American uh, or isn't an American, uh, goes down there every year and uh, tries to find out more about it. You know, here we are. What is it, 47 years? Yeah, 47 years this November. 47 years, and it is still the number one conspiracy topic. Like it's uh, yeah, I think it was ground zero when you talk about conspiracy topics mm-hmm. and theories and things like that. I mean, that, that was basically ground zero. What do you think that that the importance of the studying of the assassination is? Why do people keep studying it year after year after year, and why hasn't it been solved? Uh, the reason it hasn't been solved is because uh, there's so many different theories out there. I mean, you could look at it, I could look at it, mm-hmm. somebody else could look at it, and we get, get three different views of all the information that we see. Uh, there's just uh, so much information out there. The original investigation involved 26 volumes of evidence. So there's, And that was just the original investigation. There have been others since then. And that produced 26 volumes of evidence, uh, something like 17,000 pages. Uh, so there's too much information. There's a lot of misinformation out there, people who think they... Uh, believe something when they've been proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been one theory years ago that the, the driver did it. Well, film shows that that's uh, impossible. And there's a lot of disinformation out there, people deliberately putting stuff out there that they know is not true. Uh, that I mean, I think uh, even if the truth were to come out, uh, nobody would recognize it, and maybe it already has come yeah. out. What is the official version, uh, Randy, of what happened on November 22, 1963? Well, it was uh, getting a, a year away from the 1964 election. John Kennedy was up for re-election. One of the places he wanted to strengthen uh, his appeal uh, was in Texas. So a uh, trip was planned for November of 63, and not just Dallas, but a few other places. But when he finally got to Dallas, uh, towards the end of a, a open-car motorcade, shots rang out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the official version is, is that a disgruntled, a uh, former Marine by the name of Lee Harvey Oswald, with no connections to anybody, acting alone, fired three shots with a bolt-action rifle and uh, fired those shots uh, in Dealey Plaza that day. Uh, Kennedy was uh, shot twice, according to the official theory. The governor of Texas was riding in the jump seat in front of him. Governor John Connolly was wounded. 
And then um, Oswald somehow managed to escape from the building without being detected, go to his rooming house uh, on his way to a movie theater. And in between that, uh, those episodes, a police officer was killed in Dallas, a man by the name of J.D. Tippett. And it's been claimed uh, the official version is that Oswald shot him uh, trying to escape or flee the scene or or get away from uh, Dallas. Uh, But he ran into a movie theater about 45 minutes after the assassination, and that's where he got caught. Uh, he didn't pay for his ticket. Somebody was watching him, thought he acted suspiciously, called the police, and the police had their suspect. They brought him in originally for the uh, shooting of the police officer. Then as uh, information developed during that afternoon, they found out he worked at the building uh, where uh, a rifle was found, uh, allegedly his, and uh, Oswald was eventually charged uh, with the murder of the president as well as the police officer. Then two days later, Oswald himself was shot and killed on live television by a nightclub owner named Jack Ruby who, again, was another, according to the official theory, uh, another lone nut acting on his own with uh, no impulses from anybody. So that's the official story. One lone nut killed the lone nut who shot the president. Wow. And people actually buy that. Yeah, I think they did at the time, although I think some of the first doubts started right uh, within the echoes of Jack Ruby's gun going off when he shot Oswald. I think right then and there, people mm-hmm. started to realize there's a lot more to this story uh, than what we were officially told. And as a matter of fact, if you go back and look at some of the original coverage, I mean, there were, there were talks uh, that afternoon from news commentators and reporters, and even Walter Cronkite mentioned it uh, in the weeks afterwards, that uh, there were investigations into whether or not Ruby and Oswald were connected, uh, that they might have known each other and been involved in some sort of conspiracy, that sort of thing. And it really hasn't died down since... You know, there's uh, was there a CIA connection? Because we, we, you know, the rumors are that Lee Harvey Oswald was connected with the CIA, and that Jack Ruby was a CIA handler. Is there any truth to these uh, stories, or are they just fictionalized to to flavor up the already flavorful event of November twenty second, sixty three? I think those are probably educated guesses, and that's the best that we can say about them right now. But the, the strongest connection uh, to, to the CIA involves a guy by the name of George Joannidis, who died back in 1990. Now, uh, to give uh, your listeners a, a little bit of a history lesson, uh, one of the things that was a thorn in JFK's side was the whole situation in Cuba when Fidel mm-hmm. Castro took over in 1959, and boom, Cuba became a communist country. There were plots to kill Fidel Castro. Uh, The CIA was involved in these plots along with the mafia. And uh, some people thought uh, years afterwards, after that information came out in the 70s, that maybe uh, these plots might have backfired. But Joe Anitas was involved with a group of Cubans called the DRE, the Student Cuban Directorate. And uh, DRE is uh, their acronym in Spanish, D-R-E. And uh, he was involved uh, in funneling money from the CIA to this Cuban group of exiles uh, that were based in Florida and uh, in other parts of the southern states. Fascinating thing about the Dre is that they had a confrontation with Lee Harvey Oswald about 93 days before Kennedy was shot. Oswald was in New Orleans at the time. He uh, advocated uh, the that the United States get their hands off Cuba, leave Cuba alone, let Castro develop his country the way he wanted to, which was a very unpopular position to take back then. And uh, he got into a a scuffle on the street while he was handing out some fair play for Cuba literature with members of this organization, the DRE. And again, this is the group that George Joannidis, who was working for the CIA, was funneling money to. 
Uh, he was also involved uh, at, uh, Joanita's was, at uh, the JM Wave Station, which was a CIA base at the University uh, of uh, Florida, University of Miami, I believe it was. It was the largest CIA base in the world, and here it is right on domestic soil, U.S. domestic soil. So Joanita's was involved in that and might have been involved in some of the propaganda that came out within hours of the assassination, false stories linking Oswald to Cuba, that sort of thing. Years passed, and the connection to Joanitas uh, was not known at the time. Uh, by the late 1970s, a congressional investigation in the states known as the House Select Committee on Assassinations began investigating the, the assassination, and uh, the CIA had a, a, a guy as their liaison. So if committee members and researchers and investigators wanted to talk to the CIA, they had to go to the CIA liaison, mm -hmm. and it was George Joanitas. Huh. The investigators had no idea that George Joannidis had this background and this possible connection to Oswald back in 1963. They had no idea of that at the time. Now they know that. And uh, the director of the investigation at the time has since said if he had known that back then, he would have fired Joannidis or, or, or cut off that liaison role and put him on the stand and have him testify. Now, to this uh, stage, for the last almost 10 years now, a reporter has been trying to get access to CIA documents on Joe Anita's, particularly from 1963, what he was exactly involved in. Uh, there have been freedom of information lawsuits filed, court cases. He's won. He's lost. The CIA has appealed. And it's still up in limbo at this time. And there's still documents about Joe Anita's that we need to find and other researchers have been trying to get for years now and still haven't got them. Who do you think killed President Kennedy? And why? Um, I think why is probably uh, might lead you back into who. I think uh, from from all the research I've done, mm -hmm. um, it boils down to this. I think somebody wanted to kill Kennedy, make it look like Castro might have been involved, blame a patsy uh, on the assassination that you can link to communism, uh, perhaps to Russia, but most likely through Cuba, and have Castro blame for the assassination. Make it look like Castro was behind it. Oh, wait a second. Uh, Hold American... on here. Hold on here. This sounds very familiar. I'm going back to the year, uh, oh, 2001? Right. 9-11? Right. Are, are, we, yeah. are we seeing history let's, repeat let's, itself? Let's find us a scapegoat. Sure. Sure. That's quite possible. Um, and I think that the attempt was made to try and blame Castro for it. The American people would have been so incensed had that information come out at that time. Yeah. But I think uh, what finally would have happened is uh, there would have been an armed uh, military intervention in Cuba, and Castro would have been killed and overthrown, and the Americans would have been planting their flag on Cuban soil. And there you go, killing two birds with one stone, Castro and Kennedy. So I think all the uh, f uh, failed attempts by the mm -hmm. Cuban exiles and by the CIA throughout the early part of the 1960s could have culminated in this plan. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody in the CIA did it or somebody in the government did it, uh, acting on orders from somebody higher up. I think there might have been disgruntled people in the CIA and among the Cuban exiles who thought, you know what, this would be a great way to do it, kill two birds with one stone. And uh, boom, there you have it. Uh, you know, Cuba would be gone and the U.S. would be right back there uh, without communism 90 miles from its shore. You and I have to take a commercial break with the news, my friend. Randy Owen is our special guest to this hour, Exxon Nation. And uh, Randy and I will be back on the other side of this news break talking about the JFK assassination. My Lord, November 22nd, 1963, 47 years ago. I'll be back. Don't go away.
You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email This 4th of July, don't miss the movie of the summer. Are you ready? Damn right. Top Gun Maverick is one of the greatest movies ever made. See it on the biggest screen possible. You got yourself a deal. Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, rated PG-13. Address X-Zone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. Canada is the Rocky Mountains, Canada is Prince Edward Island, Canada is the country made for love, Canada is La Belle Provence, Canada is the Yukon Miner, Canada is a country full of love. We have love for our neighbor of whatever creed or We have love for our cities and our valleys and our plains. We have a voice that is calling, telling all the world we're willing to welcome them to this great land. For that's what Canada is. Canada is the Rocky Mountains. Canada is Prince Edward Island. And welcome back to the Exxon Radio Show, Exxon Nation. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is on the shores of beautiful Lake Ontario, in between the cities of Toronto and Niagara Falls, Ontario. 1-800-610-7035 is worldwide toll-free. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. Our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Randy Owen is, Owens is my special guest, Exxon Nation. And uh, Randy's research is into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in Dallas, Texas on November the 22nd in the year 1963. During the commercial break, Randy and I were, were chatting. Randy is in broadcasting up in Tilsonburg, and, uh, you know, we were shooting the... Uh, the, the uh, well, we were just having a good old chit-chat during the break, as as radio people do, and uh, we are talking about a buddy of ours, Tim Dennis, who is the morning man at 610 CKTB. And uh, I, I was telling Randy that, you know, when Tim and I worked together at CKTB, we did a lot of different remotes together. We did remotes uh, throughout the Niagara Peninsula, Toronto, and, and Wyerton. And when I said Wyerton, Randy, you said that there was a connection between uh, the JFK assassination and Wyerton, Ontario, where they bring the little groundhog up. Yeah, uh, yeah, Wyerton Willie was not involved Willie, in the conspiracy, it. as far as I know. But this, this you're going to find fascinating. 
there's a series of books that just came out this year written by a guy named Douglas Horn. And it's called Inside the Assassination Records Review Board. Five volumes, almost 1,600 pages. It took me five months to read and a lot of coffee, let me tell you. Mm. Uh, but Doug was uh, part of the uh, review board. After the Oliver Stone movie came out in 1991, there was a title card at the end of the movie that talked about all these documents that were still kept secret. Yeah. And that caused an uproar, and that caused uh, the government to form the review board. And their job was to find as many documents as they possibly can and declassify them and release them. And, uh, I mean, there's still documents to be released. But one of the things that turned up, somebody turned over what appeared to be some sort of Air Force logs written down, uh, and they appeared to be from 1963, and nobody knew too much about it. But what it concerned was uh, the flight plans of uh, a guy who was uh, with the Air Force at the time, the U.S. Air Force, a guy by the name of General Curtis LeMay. LeMay was involved in uh, the firebombing of Japan during World War II. Uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, 13 months before Kennedy was shot, right. LeMay constantly advocated the bombing of Cuba. He wanted to eradicate them during the Missile Crisis when some tense negotiations were going on. And at one point... Um, he said to Kennedy, you're in a pretty tough fix, Mr. President. And Kennedy looked at him and said, what did you say? And LeMay said to him, you're in a pretty tough fix, Mr. President. And Kennedy said, well, in case you hadn't noticed, you're in it with me. And, I mean, this was getting close to World War III during the missile crisis. Now, uh, there are some people who claim that uh, Kennedy's autopsy, after he'd been shot in Dallas, his body was taken to Washington where it was uh, an autopsy was performed at uh, the Bethesda Naval Hospital, but there was some sort of military control over that. One witness to the autopsy did claim before he died that Curtis LeMay was there in the autopsy room. And whether or not he was handing out orders and, and uh, trying to stifle the autopsy, who knows for sure. But the fascinating thing was, among these Air Force documents that mm -hmm. were turned over to the review board, we find out that Curtis LeMay was in Ontario, specifically Wyerton, the day that Kennedy was shot. Now, uh, according to his official biography, uh, LeMay was uh, on vacation uh, during the Kennedy assassination. He had family in Detroit. I'm guessing they came over across the border. They might have visited cottage country, as it's called, and known and was in that area. Now, the Air Force was supposed to pick him up after news of Kennedy's shooting got out, and they were going to send an Air Force plane to Toronto to pick him up. And instead, orders came back from LeMay to pick him up at Wyerton. And uh, the funny thing is, these Air Force logs spell it as Wharton, W-A-R-T-O-N. I recognize it as a typo right away. Sure. And it had the uh, global coordinates of the airport where he was supposed to be picked up. You do a quick Google search for Wyerton, there are the coordinates of the airport. That's where LeMay got picked up uh, by a U.S. Air Force plane that flew him back to Washington that afternoon. Now, the uh, head of uh, the Air Force, uh, he was, of course, part of the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, but the secretary of the Air Force at the time ordered LeMay to uh, uh, go to Andrews Air Force Base in Washington. That's where JFK was coming back from Dallas. Uh, his body, Lyndon Johnson, that's where we saw you know, the casket come off the plane, that sort of thing. And although uh, the Secretary of the Air Force told LeMay to go to Andrews Air Force Base, LeMay disobeyed his superior and instead flew to the public airport in Washington, which turns out was closer to Bethesda Naval Hospital, where Kennedy was autopsied later that night. Well, here's where I'm going to bring Curtis LeMay into what we talk about a lot here on the Exxon, the UFO phenomenon. Because sure. the April 25th, 1988 issue of The New Yorker carried an interview with retired Air Force Major General Curtis LeMay and for, former U.S. Senator from Arizona Barry Goldwater, who said he repeated, repeatedly asked his friend General LeMay if he, Goldwater, 
might have access to secret blue room at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, alleging, you ready for this, the contents of UFOs. Right, right. Where, where some people believe uh, the wreckage or some of the bodies from Roswell yeah. were taken after the Roswell crash in '47, if I'm not mistaken. So it seems that Lemay is all over the place. Not only is he part of the UFO uh, conspiracy cover-up, but also now there's a link to the JFK assassination. Like, yeah, I'm hoping to find uh, some evidence and proof that maybe somebody might. I mean, how in a small town like Wyerton, yeah. Ontario. I mean, how could you not miss uh, an Air Force general being picked up at an Air Force plane at a small airport like Wyerton? So there's a historian who's working on the history of Wyerton. I told him about this earlier Mm -hmm. this year. He's going to try and check it out for me. I've got some friends that uh, fly planes. They're going to try and get some documentation, see if they can find any documentation on this. So we've got something that actually proves that LeMay was there at the time. Well, wouldn't the Department of Transport have something in the airport log or... You'd think, and I'm, I'm not too sure. I mean, I'm, I've been trying to check. To, I mean, uh, there's, there's, I think, Nav Canada, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, but they're not too. Uh, rela- uh, they're, they're very reluctant to release information to the public. I mean, you have to have a good excuse. But I mean, it's something I'm pursuing at the moment. Over the last year, have there been any new developments in the JFK case? Oh, quite a few. I mean, like the Horn book, series of books, all five of them have been great mm-hmm. because he deals specifically with the medical evidence and the witnesses that they put under oath back in the late 90s. Uh, that's one. The Joe Anita's thing, that's uh, some more stuff that we're trying to find out. Uh, some of the other new things, uh, the Dallas uh, people uh, released uh, something like 400 photographs taken, crime scene photographs, uh, that were taken as part of the investigation. A lot of them taken by the Dallas police. As a matter of fact, they are police photographs. And the cool thing is they're all online now, so you can check out all this sort of stuff. And what's fascinating is to see um, this paper bag that Oswald supposedly carried his rifle to work with that day. Uh, he usually kept the, the rifle uh, stashed in a blanket. And the official investigation said, well, there were threads from the blanket found on the paper bag, therefore he must have carried it. That's how it got there. Well, on these pictures, uh, you can actually see the evidence gathered that night and stacked up on a table is the paper bag, and it's touching the blanket. There's the transfer of of fibers right there. (laughs) And it's amazing to see that on this one photograph that's buried among the 400. So there's always more stuff to find out. There's new footage coming out. A uh, young man who was 15 at the time, uh, his last name, coincidentally, Warren. Of course, Earl Warren was the head of the commission that did the original investigation. This guy was no relation. 15-year-old boy filmed JFK's arrival in Dallas that day. That film, he finally uh, released it and uh, gave it to the Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas. So that's now been seen. So there's always new films, new photographs, and new information to find out about this. Tell me, Randy, are there still in your belief, sealed files pertaining to the JFK assassination, and do you think these files will ever be released? I think they will be released, but maybe not in our lifetime. I mean, we already touched on the George Gioannidis yeah. story and how there are still files on that. Uh, there's at least a million pages of CIA documents that have not been released, um, and for, for one reason or another, and they should have been, uh, you would think, uh, after the review board. And, I mean, that was 30 years, 30-plus years after the assassination, and even they couldn't get all the documents. Hmm. So, um, yeah, there's stuff out there. But to think that, I mean, there's going to be one piece of paper somewhere where somebody wrote the whole solution, I think that's a little naive. I don't think you're going to find the answer on any one piece of paper. Here's what we did that day, and here's how we did it yeah. and how we pulled it off. I don't think you're ever going to find that one piece of paper like that. We talked about the Cuban connection and the possibility of it having something to do with the assassination of President Kennedy. But what about the mafia connection? Because uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. was the Attorney General, and uh, 
you know, he was he was he was stamping pretty heavy on organized crime. Oh yeah, he was stepping on their toes and probably mm-hmm. breaking a few bones. Um, one of the uh, mafia leaders he was particularly interested in going after was a guy down in Louisiana named Carlos Marcelo. He actually had him deported because he was an illegal alien. Uh, had him deported to Guatemala. Somehow, Marcelo got back to the country and talking to a private investigator by the name of Ed Becker. When Becker mentioned the name of uh, Robert Kennedy, Marcelo lost it. And he said, uh, don't worry, that little SOB is going to be taken care of. And Becker said, well, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, you kill the president and blame some nut for it. And that's exactly what happened. And when Becker thought about it, like, why would you kill the president? Mm-hmm. Marcelo replied, well, you cut the head off a, a rooster, the tail falls off. Or you cut the head off a dog, the tail falls off. JFK being the dog's head, Bobby Kennedy being the tail. And after that assassination, Bobby was thoroughly devastated and wasn't the same guy that he was. He wasn't pursuing the mafia. I don't think he pursued the mafia that much after Kennedy's assassination. Do you think Bobby knew he was going to be next? Yeah, um, yeah, and I think Ted knew for a while, too, that there would be attempts on his life, and we found out from documents released after Ted Kennedy's passing that, mm-hmm. I mean, there were tons of threats against uh, Ted Kennedy over the years. Bobby, I think, you know, I think the family knew, too, that somebody somewhere was going to take an attempt, you know, would make an attempt on him, and that there really was nothing that the family could do about it. Forty-seven years later, do you think that we'll ever get this case solved? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's, we might come close. Uh, like I said earlier, with all the problems with the uh, evidence and the information, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's tough that researchers can't even agree on what is legitimate evidence. When you look at uh, some of the theories that have come out over the last few years, that the Zabruder film, the famous film of the assassination taken by a bystander, uh, might have been tampered with or doctored. So if you can't agree on what the evidence is, then there's no way you're going to be able to solve this thing. If it's not going to be solved, then why bother? Well, it's it, to me, it's like taking a trip. Um, you have an idea of where you're going to start from, where you want to end up, but sometimes uh, the journey itself can be a lot more interesting, a lot more informative, and a lot more fun than the actual destination. Um, along this way, I mean, I've got to meet, as you talked to earlier at the, yeah. this hour, about you know, so many people Holy I've met. Cow. I never dreamed I'd meet Lee Harvey Oswald's widow. What was, that know, like sitting down, what was that like sitting down in front of her and talking to her? For two and a half hours, it was incredible. I mean, I never would have dreamed that would have happened. And then to talk to one of the doctors who tried to save JFK that uh, that day, Dr. Robert McClellan, I never dreamed I'd get a chance to meet him. I knew of all about his testimony mm-hmm. and what he went through that day. Uh, so to have him look at the autopsy photographs that I have of JFK and tell me that the back of the head did not look like that at all, and to sign that, that's something that the review board wanted to do, was to get McClellan to testify again and, and show him the autopsy photographs and x-rays under oath. And they they weren't allowed to. Douglas Horn was not allowed to do that. Uh, fortunately, I got to meet McClellan, and I had him do that. He looked at those photographs, and he told me that's not what the back of the head looked like. He remembered a big gaping hole, something that would be more consistent with a shot from the front, not from behind, where Oswald supposedly was. And to have him actually sign that photograph saying, this is not what I saw... Um, I was fortunate to do something that the review board and Douglas Horn couldn't do. I, I never dreamed I'd get to meet so many people. And I get to study so much about uh, mm-hmm. U.S. history, politics, espionage, I mean, medical evidence. If you're a CSI fan, I mean, right. this case would be right for you. I mean, there's so much to learn from this. So was the Warren Commission just icing? Yeah, I think I don't think they had the full idea of what was going on. I think they kind of knew that you know we got to blame somebody on this. We we have an election coming up in 1964. We got to offer them something. Let's try and make it as believable as we possibly can. And I don't even think they knew the whole answer 
Uh, I don't think any one person knows the whole answer as to what really did happen that day. What about the theory that the security forces, the intelligence, uh, the FBI, and other federal agencies knew that it was set for Dallas and that President Kennedy was a sacrificial lamb? Do you buy that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I've talked to a Secret Service agent by the name of Abraham Bolden, who was in Chicago, the first black agent on the White House detail. As a matter of fact, Kennedy put him there, but he went back to Chicago after a while. Uh, Bolden describes a plot in Chicago in, uh, that involves uh, four Cubans uh, who were planning to assassinate Kennedy, and this was about 20 days before the assassination. Um, and yet, uh, after the assassination, all that information was gathered up by the agent in charge, and they were told never to discuss it. Uh, so it seems like the CIA knew something, or the Secret Service knew yeah. something was going to happen. And there's evidence of, yeah, FBI warnings. Of, there were a lot of warnings going on before Kennedy was killed that something was going to happen. Stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our final break. Exxon Nation, our very special guest this hour, is Randy Owen. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break, wrapping up about Randy's research into the JFK assassination. Don't go away. Randy Owens is our special guest, Exxon Nation. He is a researcher into the JFK assassination. Now, apparently there is a big event uh, coming up in November down in Dallas. Uh, tell us about it, Randy. It happens every November. Uh, the folks at uh, JFK Lancer, which is a website people can go to, jfklancer.com, Lancer being JFK's Secret Service code name, you can navigate around that and get information on what's called November in Dallas. And every year they sponsor this conference, usually about three or four days. Some of the best researchers, authors, witnesses are going to be in Dallas November 12th through the 14th at the Adolphus Hotel, right downtown, just about five, six blocks away from Dealey Plaza. And uh, I'm going to be down there. As a matter of fact, I'm the MC for it. Uh, they asked me to do that two years ago. And, uh, again, I find it hard to believe they'd ask somebody like me to do it, but I keep going back. Uh, and uh, there will be some great authors there, too. Larry Hancock wrote a great book called Someone Would Have Talked. He's going to talk about Lee Harvey Oswald's role in all this. He'll be talking about uh, connections to Mexico City. Mm -hmm. There'll even be some discussions about Robert Kennedy, uh, his assassination, and Martin Luther King's as well. But it's a great place to meet other authors, researchers, and, again, like I said, witnesses, too. And that's coming up in Dallas. Texas at the Adolphus Hotel. And again, just go to the JFK Lancer website and get more details on that. Tell me, is there a connection between the Kennedy's, uh, JFK's assassination and Bobby's assassination? 
Uh, quite a few. I mean, if you study both of those, and even Martin Luther King's assassination, it almost seems like there is an attempt, or, or, or the template for what, what happened in Dallas might have been used to a slightly different degree, perhaps in Los Angeles when Bobby was killed in 68, and even Martin Luther King in Memphis in 68. One of the connections, uh, this George Joannidis guy that we talked about, a filmmaker from Ireland, uh, seems to think that Joannidis might have been in the Ambassador Ballroom, or in the Ambassador Hotel, when Bobby Kennedy was wow. shot. And there seems to be some photographs that suggest that, and some witnesses who, who knew Joannidis and do identify him as being in one of these photographs. And where's the connection with Martin Luther King? Uh, there's quite a few connections. I mean, Martin Luther King himself, uh, the very day Kennedy was shot, he turned to his wife and said, uh, uh, I'm next, okay. uh, basically. Uh, but there have been uh, some, some possible mm -hmm. connections. I mean, James Earl Ray, uh, who, again, was the lone assassin, according to the official version, was traveling all over the place, uh, international intrigue. I mean, he ended up getting caught over in England. And like Lee Harvey Oswald, here's a guy who's almost destitute, uh, but Oswald got to travel to Russia, uh, all, half a world away and lived there for three years. So there's all sorts of bizarre connections uh, and possible suspects, too, that keep cropping up. Certain names keep cropping up in both investigations. Hey, Randy, as always, time goes by so fast when you're with us here in the X-Zone. Uh, thanks very much for joining us and for bringing us up to date on the JFK assassination. Good luck with your website. Let us know when it's launched. We'll certainly be glad to send our listeners uh, looking that way, and we'll have to have you back on before November so you can promote the event that's going to be happening in Dallas. Rob, again, thank you so much for having me back again. I do appreciate it, and thank you for being so well-informed and keeping all of us informed on everything that you do. It's my great pleasure, my friend. Randy, take care of yourself. Exo Nation, Randy Owen. We've been talking about research into the JFK assassination. Well, that's it for this week. Have a super safe weekend, everyone. Remember, if you've got a child at home, give them a hug, give them a kiss. The children of today are the leaders of tomorrow, and if you can help somebody out who needs a helping hand, do it. Please. So until Monday night, always have a great weekend, be safe, be careful, and always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone.